Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here in church this morning. And uh, just want to welcome everyone here this morning. <laughs> Nora's coming down to visit her dad again. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? Kids are great, aren't they, huh? Amen. All right. Well, it's uh, good to be here in the Lord's house today. And uh, we have a few announcements here uh, in the bulletin. And uh, Ian has an announcement to make. But does anybody else have any announcement uh, that needs to be made this morning? We have the... Uh, uh, in the uh, um, bulletin you can see our our sunday school uh times and the bible study times uh etc and uh any other announcements yes jane Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. So Anina said if you, uh, uh, she put some things down there. So down front, I believe that, yeah, that if you uh, need a, a little assistance, uh, uh, then there's some things down there that you can put in your box if you'd like, and that would be, that would be good. All right, any other announcements this morning? Ian? Just want to remind folks that uh, Trunk or Treat is tomorrow, and so we'll be handing out uh, hot dogs and popcorn and candy in the parking lot here uh, to trick-or-treaters that come by. So I just want to encourage you, if you are planning on bringing a car, which we're encouraging anyone who's involved in the church, if you would like to, feel free to bring Park your car here and out of the back to, to hand out candy. We'll line up. Uh, if you want to do that, if you could just try and be here by 4. Um, we've been advertising that it starts at 4.30, so it'd be nice to have everyone lined up and everything all set at 4. And if you're planning on doing that, if you could just let me know or let Miranda know um, so we'll know how many cars to plan for. Um, if you're interested in helping but you're not able to bring a, uh, a vehicle or you don't want to pass out candy, um, we also need a little help with uh, the popcorn and hot dogs and that kind of thing. I think I'll be making hot dogs. So um, let us know if you're interested in helping with that. Um, I think that's it. Thank you. <coughs> All right. Well, let's open with a, a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We thank you for each family that is here this morning, and, and we realize sometimes Sunday mornings get rather chaotic, and, and we get busy, and lots to do. And, but we pray this morning that you would just, uh, we thank you for each one that is here each one that is able to come out this morning. We think of those that are not able to be here this morning with us. We pray that you would uh, bring them back to us soon, uh, whatever the reason uh, may be. We pray that you would uh, 
Help us to quiet our hearts this morning, that you would help us to listen to your word. And as we sing and pray and listen to your word, we pray that you would be inspiring us, that you would be continuing to fill us with your spirit, that we might be able to tell others about you. We pray that you just watch over each, each family here this morning as we all go through uh, difficult times, and, and uh, we pray that you would just watch over those that are going through difficulties this morning, and that we would be an encouragement to them. We pray that you would watch over Ian this morning as he brings the message that your Holy Spirit would speak through him, and that we would receive a blessing from being here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Our scripture reading this morning will be found in your uh, in your new uh, Bible, your new pew Bible. If you want to turn uh, in your pew Bible, which is the same version that I'll be reading from, that would be uh, page nine hundred and seventeen, and it is uh, Ephesians. Chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Ephesians 1, starting with verse 15, through the end of the chapter. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. And now if you would turn in your green book in the uh, pew in front of you to Psalm 47, and that would be in the back part of the book, Psalm 47, and let's stand and sing. Earth and 
singing. And now if the ushers would come forward for the morning offering, please. And if you have any prayer requests, uh, please just fill out one of those prayer, prayer slips uh, in the pew in front of you.
Amen. And remain standing, please. And if you would turn with me to number 306, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. And we'll sing all four verses of that, and then we'll go directly to number 349, and we will sing, Oh, how he loves you and me. All right. singing church I uh, Miranda and I have taken uh, two Sundays away from Liberty this year and uh, this past Sunday was the second one and I'll say the same thing this time that I said the last time I'm so glad to be able to go and worship with other believers elsewhere both times we've gone to visited family but 
Every time we're away, it makes me so grateful to come home. And I'm so grateful that you're my church family. So thank you. We're going to take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we come to you and we worship you this morning because you are God. You are our creator. You are our king. And in the words of Psalm 145, every day we will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. You are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You are good to all, and your mercy is over all that you have made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. As we come into your presence this morning, we recognize that you are holy, Father, and that we have fallen short of your glory. We know our transgressions, and we're aware of our sin. We understand, Father, that each one of us has sinned against you, that we've done what is evil in your sight, so that if you were to condemn us, you would be just and right. We grieve this morning, Father, that we have grieved you by our thoughts and our actions and our deeds. And we ask as we come into your presence that you would have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love. And according to your abundant mercy, you would blot out our transgressions, that you would wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. Let's take a moment to silently confess our sins to God. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the rest that you give to us and to all who come to you in faith. In your death, we find forgiveness. In your resurrection, we find life. By your blood, we are cleansed. And by your body, we are healed. Father, we come to you this morning with much to be thankful for. We're thankful for the the crisp fall air for the beauty of your creation. We're thankful for the breath you put in our lungs each day. We thank you for the gift of family. We thank you for how you've provided for each one of us the things we need, food to eat, a place to live. I thank you, Father, for how you care for your people. We thank you for this church, Father, and for the blessing that it is to be a part of your people. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the love each one of us has been shown by others in our church family. We thank you uh, for the kindness of your people, and we thank you 
for how the heart of Christ is shown among us. We pray that you would teach us to, to grow in our love for one another, that more and more we would count one another more significant than ourselves, that we would see fit to, to give our lives for others as you have given your life for us, Lord Jesus, and in so doing that we would, that we would bear the image of Christ. We thank you for how your kingdom is going forward. We thank you for the great promises in Scripture. Lord Jesus, where you say that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you for how you're at work in the world, particularly as we move towards the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church next week. We, we lift up to you our brothers and sisters around the world who, who together with us have professed faith in Jesus but many of them are in danger, even of their very lives, as a result of that profession and that baptism. I pray, Father, that you'd protect them. I pray, Father, that you'd keep them strong. I pray, Father, that you'd, um, that you'd give them endurance in the face of difficulty. We thank you for how very often in the places where there's the greatest pressure on the gospel, there also is the greatest growth. And so we pray, Father, that your kingdom would move forward and that souls might be saved by the bold witness of our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer for the sake of Christ. We pray, too, for the growth of your kingdom locally. We think of the churches around us. Lord, I, I thank you for uh, the Palermo Christian Church. I thank you for Faith Temple in Belfast, both of whose pastors I was able to meet with this week and pray with. I pray your blessing over both of those congregations, that you'd continue to grow them, you'd bring them up in the faith. I pray, Lord, that you'd use them for uh, your kingdom and for the advancement of your gospel in Waldo County. I pray, Lord, for those pastors, for Art and for Eric, that you'd strengthen them in the knowledge of your word. We thank you, Father, for how you're using them. We pray for the unity of your body in Waldo County. We pray, too, for this congregation. I'm so thankful for this church on the hill. I pray your blessing over the rest of our service this morning. We pray that you'd make us daily more and more like Jesus, that you'd keep us faithful to the gospel, that you'd protect us from sin and temptation, that you'd make us suitable vessels to be at work in your kingdom, that you'd call us to greater obedience and greater involvement in your mission, that we would be lights for the gospel, and for Jesus Christ, who is our hope. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand together, and we'll sing number 12 in your green book. O Lord, our rock.
Open your Bibles with me this morning to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Something a little bit different this morning, another break. 
from our series through Genesis. Don't worry, we'll pick up on that again next week. Uh, but today is the last Sunday in October, the last Sunday in October, which uh, by many Protestant churches, which as a Baptist church we are, is celebrated as Reformation Day. Reformation Day. And it was on the 31st of October, actually, 1517, that uh, a monk, Martin Luther, nailed his 95 theses to the uh, door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And he didn't mean it to set off a wildfire, but eventually it, it was the spark that set off the wildfire of what became the Protestant Reformation. We won't, um, I could talk all day about the Protestant Reformation, but you'll have to come to the church history class for that. Um, but basically, what was going on in the Protestant Reformation was that Luther and many other people all around Western Europe were reading their Bibles um, for the first time, actually, in a long time in the original Greek, and they were comparing it to what the church was teaching at the time. And they were saying, this doesn't line up. And they were saying, this doesn't line up on a lot of things. And the 95 theses were just the beginning of a list of those things. But this morning, I want to, I want to talk about really the, the heart, the central issue, at least for Luther in the Protestant Reformation. And this issue centers on what was for Luther despair despair. Luther despaired because of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. As you read the story of his life, the first decades of his life are marked by continual struggle about this question of the righteousness of God. Luther knew that God was holy righteous and he knew perhaps more sensitively than most as you read his journal entries that he was a sinner that he was unrighteous and as you read the early years of his life basically martin luther's struggle was to try to bridge the gap to try to make himself righteous enough to enter the presence of God. And his despair, his continual struggle was that he couldn't seem to do it. As hard as he tried, and he tried hard, probably harder than most. Right? He, he entered the a monastic orders sort of against the will of his father. He became a monk. He started praying all day. He started reading his Bible constantly. Right? He removed himself from all the temptations and distractions of the world. And yet, the more he did, the more he realized, as hard as he tried, deep down, it, the problem wasn't just that he sinned. The problem was that he was a sinner. As hard as he could, he couldn't bridge the gap between his unrighteousness and the righteousness of God. He explains it this way. My situation was that, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit 
would assuage him. He was plagued by the righteousness of God. And he, he writes actually about studying the book of Romans, which is where we're going to be this morning. And in Romans chapter 3, one of his mentors, basically to try and fix Luther's problem, because this thing plagued his life, assigned him to teach scripture. And so he started studying the Bible seriously. And one of the books he taught was the book of Romans. And as he studied the book of Romans, he came in contact with this term, with the righteousness of God. And when he came in contact with this term, for him it was a weight. It was like a bludgeon, a hammer. Every time he read the term, the righteousness of God, he would, he would be crushed under the weight of God's holiness. He would realize, I'm so unworthy. And he would read, as we're about to read, Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. And he'd say, oh! And yet he says this, yet I clung to, the, to dear Paul, he's writing Romans, I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. His sense is there's something more going on here. And eventually he realized, as we're going to see this morning in Romans chapter 3, that we're hopeless on our own. Martin Luther realized that well. But that our only hope of righteousness is in Jesus Christ. And actually that in Jesus and what God has done in him, we have been given as a gracious gift the very righteousness of God. And what Luther realizes eventually is that this passage on the righteousness of God is not a weight, it's not a bludgeon, it is life. This is what he says. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. And then I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us, makes us righteous by faith. And here's what he says, and maybe you can identify with this. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The weight, after all these decades, lifted. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning, and whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate of heaven. A gate of heaven. My prayer is that it, it would be that to us this morning as we study it. Our main idea this morning is that the only hope, our only hope of righteousness is in Jesus Christ. And my prayer would be that we would believe in him and through him to receive the righteousness of God. Let's read our passage together this morning. We're in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Uh, in your pew Bibles, that's page 884 if you're following along there. Romans 3, and we're going to 
start in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in our own power, we labor under a heavy burden and are unable to lift it. And we come to you this morning and to your word, much like Martin Luther, in desperate need of you. With nothing to bring, we ask, Lord, that you would help us, that you would be gracious to us, that you would show us Jesus and through him, you would open to us a gate of heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our only hope of righteousness is in Jesus Christ. The question I want to focus our study of the passage this morning is this. How can we be made righteous? That was Luther's question. It's what he wrestled with for years. How can we be made righteous? And Paul's going to lay it out for us. He's going to show us how we can be made righteous. And before he gives us the answer, he has to tell us what isn't the answer. How can we be made righteous? First, the Apostle Paul shows us here in Romans 3, as he writes to the church in Rome, that we can't be made righteous by the law. We can't be made righteous by the law. We see this in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That the righteousness God is revealing, is manifesting, isn't coming through the law. And this is sort of the, the end of a discussion he's been having in the first part of Romans 3. And in the first part of Romans 3, he's dealing with this question of, of Jews and Gentiles. They're all Christians, but there's some of these Christians are Jews they were born into the line of Abraham. They grew up going to synagogue. They knew their Bibles. These are the church kids. And then there's the non-church kids. And there's this whole debate as to whether the church kids really have any advantage, okay, in terms of righteousness. Like, are the ones who grew up going to synagogue, hearing the, the, the Torah read, are they more righteous than the Gentiles who are just now meeting Jesus? And Paul's answer is, no, no, absolutely not. There's no difference. And in fact, he says, the ones who know the law are in some ways 
more culpable because they know the law and they've sinned anyways, right? And he says this in verse 20, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified or made righteous. We're going to see that word throughout this passage and it's almost the same word that you see translated righteous, okay? It's the same Greek root. So justified means made righteous before God. By works of the law, no human being will be made righteous in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is what happens when we as sinful human beings come to the word of God and we read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you shall honor your mother and father. You shall not steal. You shall not worship idols. Right? We read the law of God, and if we're doing it wrong, we say, oh, I do all that. And if we're reading it right, we see, oh, I do all that. I'm a sinner. The law reveals our culpability. The law reveals our unrighteousness. If we're doing it right, it shows us our need. It shows us that we're actually, we're right up there with Luther on our own in despair. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We like to convince ourselves this is not true, or at least it's not as bad as we think. We often do this by comparison. Right? We point to the person next to us and say, well, at least I'm not like them. Um, J. Vernon McGee recounts a story of um, jumping off the Santa Monica Pier with some friends. And at the Santa Monica Pier, out in the bay, you can see Catalina Island. It's like a mile off or something like that. And, and McGee remembers sort of joking with his friends, which of us can get to the island? You're not going to make it to the island. But, but they'd, they'd really compete with each other, right? One would jump off, and the next one would jump off and say, hey, I got further than you, right? Three or four or five feet further, right? One guy made it 10 feet. Maybe the next guy made it 15 feet. I made it further than you, and you go away patting your back. I made it further than he did. But who reached the island? No one. Right? It's easy to compare ourselves with the person next to us. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, none of us make it, can make it, can ever make it to the righteousness of God on our own works. We can't do it. By the, law, by the works of the law, no person, no human being will be justified. And so I'd want to encourage you this morning, if you're reading the Bible wrong, if you're saying, well, I'm actually pretty good, I think if I came before the Lord today and he examined my life, I would be righteous, I would want you to see you're deceiving yourself. It's not true. According to God's word, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And before we can understand the cure, we need to know that we have a disease. We need to know that we need the cure. We actually need to go through Luther's despair before we can see the beauty of the cross. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're hoping in your righteousness and your law-keeping to justify you before God, abandon hope. It's not going to work. How can we be made righteous? First, not by the law. Okay, then how? And second, Paul's going to show us it's 
by grace alone. I can remember well the feeling of walking into my high school social studies class and sitting down next to my neighbor in my desk and being asked, so what'd you do your project on? And responding, I forgot about it. And it's due today. <laughs> and class is about to start. I can remember the pit in my stomach. And I can remember well the thoughts racing through my head as I walked the short distance from my desk to the teacher's desk to beg. <laughs> Nothing in my hands I bring. Please, would you, would you give me another day? I, it was due today. I've had the assignment for months. I've known it's coming. I can only plead on the basis of the teacher's grace. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. The word justified again here means made righteous. And this is really where things begin to click in Luther's mind. He was made righteous. I know I'm not righteous. That's what the verse says, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are made righteous and are justified by his grace as a gift. Luther's fear, and perhaps our fear, is that if we come to the throne of God with nothing in our hands, we'll be t turned away, given the cold shoulder. This is a false image of God. Our God is righteous, but he is also gracious. And the promise, the light that begins to appear in the darkness here in this, this passage is that God somehow can actually take sinful, unrighteous people and make them righteous, give them righteousness. That we could actually come up to the teacher's desk and we're handed a finished assignment and told, I'll actually present it for you. Sit down, you've got an A+. This is grace. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. And, and then the question becomes, <clears throat> how? How is this possible? How can a righteous God, a holy God, a good God, allow sin to go unpunished? How can a righteous God allow people to go on distorting and destroying his creation without justice, without recompense? And the answer comes in the blood of Jesus Christ. How can we be made righteous? Not by the law, by grace alone. And here thirdly, by the blood of Jesus alone. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by 
faith. How does the math work that a holy God can forgive sin and still be righteous? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Who is Jesus? Well, who did he say he was? He came into the world and he said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe the gospel. He began doing things that only God can do. He's the Son of God, God in the flesh. This is what we remember at Christmas, right? That Jesus is Emmanuel, God actually come into the world, God among us, and yet not just God, truly God and truly man, a human being. And so the person of Jesus, he's unprecedented. We've never seen anyone like this before. This is God among us, and he's also righteous. Since Adam and Eve, every son of Adam, every daughter of Eve that's ever walked to this world has been polluted by sin. And yet here Jesus comes along and he's like a new Adam, perfectly righteous, without sin. The writer of Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. Jesus, the righteous Son of God. And the puzzle at the end of Jesus' life that even his disciples didn't understand was that Jesus, who they expected to be this great king, who indeed was this great king, came into the world, taught for three years, and then was crucified on a Roman instrument of torture. He was killed. And and we wear Roman torture devices around our necks and put them up in our places of worship. Why? Why? Not for the cross itself, but for the one who was upon it. The disciples didn't understand what Jesus was doing, but Jesus knew full well what he was doing. He had been sent on a mission. Verse 25, God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. This is a technical term. Probably don't use it in everyday language, but it's important for us to understand. If you want to know what propitiation is, think back to the Old Testament. Before the coming of Christ, the people of God had to atone for their sins somehow. They were a sinful people, and yet they were supposed to be living in the presence of God. And so God made a way for them to atone for their sins. And what you would do a number of times a year is that you would come into the temple and that typically the head of the household would come and he would put his hand on the head of an animal and it would be sacrificed there in the temple. And this is a sign that actually the sins of that man and of that family were going to be carried by the family no more but that the sins of this family would be upon this animal. That God's wrath is against sin, but in kindness, God made a way for his wrath to be poured out on this animal and not on his people. That's what propitiation is. It's turning away, redirecting the wrath of God. 
And so you see, do you see what, what we have here on the cross? That actually God himself, God himself steps in and becomes the propitiation for our sins. The writer of Hebrews tells us that actually all those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were just pictures. They weren't finally effective. They were pointing forward to a better sacrifice, the righteous Son of God, who actually on the cross, as he died, took upon himself the eternal God, an eternal weight of sin, bearing it in our place. And that because of his death and because of his resurrection, not only are our sins able to be put on him, but his righteousness given to us. This is justification. That we can be made righteous by God's grace as a gift through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the blood of Jesus and only through him that we can be made righteous. People who know Jesus and who know the gospel down to the deepest parts love the cross. The cro not as an instrument of torture, but because of the one who hung upon it. Because on the cross, any of us who might be tempted to feel that God is a distant father who doesn't care about us and will probably rebuke us when we come home, see the love of God on display. in a way that nothing else can, can do. That on the cross, God the Father willingly gives up God the Son, and God the Son willingly dies in our place. This is the love of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I would want to encourage you this morning, if as a Christian, your prayer life is growing dry, you feel like you're in a, a, a dead period in terms of your, your walk and your faith, meditate on the cross. Consider the cross. Consider the love of God and let the love of the Father soften your heart. This is the love of God that apart from anything we deserved, we, we know what's supposed to be coming. In grace, he gave himself for you. How can we be made righteous? Not by the law, by grace alone, through the blood of Jesus alone. And so then the question is, how can that righteousness be mine? How can I be made righteous before God? And the answer is by faith, and by faith alone. This teaching is littered throughout this passage. Verse 
22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For who? All who believe. Verse 24, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Through the cross, God is inviting any who would come. He says, here is the righteousness of God, right? That's what we read, verse 21. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested the Greek here means like proclaimed, published. Right? It's like God has sent out a news brief to the whole world. Here it is. The righteousness of God for any who would receive it. The gift of righteousness through Jesus for any who would come. It's like a dinner invitation. The table has been set. God has laid the feast. Through Christ and his body and and his blood through his death and in the power of his resurrection, life for any who would have it. Reconciliation with God for any who would come. Eternal life. Here's the feast. It's been set. If you've ever been invited to dinner and you ask, can I bring anything? And I love when people tell me, just, just yourself. We've told people that before ourselves. Just yourself. Just bring yourself. And that's what God says. There's nothing we can bring to the table. We're clothed in rags, right? We're desperately hungry and in need with nothing to bring to the table. And God opens the door and he says, here, have it all. My very righteousness, yours. Just come to the table. Just come to the table. I don't know if you've ever received a dinner invitation that you're not sure is actually genuine. Or you know they've invited you, but you wonder, do they actually want me there? And I think we can wonder that about the Lord. We can wonder if he's sort of given us an invitation out of obligation, but we're not sure what would actually happen if we showed up at the door, if he's actually going to be good on his word. And I think in one way, the essence of faith is merely to take God at his word. He's given the invitation. He's set the table. The question is, will you sit down? Will you come in and sit down at the Father's table? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? who came into the world to die for our sins, who rose from the grave, who is alive today at the right hand of the Father and is coming again. Do you believe this? And then if you believe that, do you believe it's enough for you, that he is enough for you, that the cross is enough for you? Have you trusted that? It doesn't have to be a great faith can be as tiny as the mustard seed, just enough to walk in the door and sit down at the table. 
You don't have to have enough faith to accomplish anything. You just have, enough, have to have enough faith to eat. Here is bread, the body of Christ. Here's the cup, the blood of Christ. Enough for you. Take, eat. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper next week. Jesus has actually, in the context of the church, physically set us a table. And he said, come, come. Here is the gospel. Jesus, for you, if you would have him. Will you have him? How can we be made righteous? Not by the law, by grace alone, by the blood of Jesus alone, through faith alone, and finally, to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. Verse 25, halfway through, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul here is explaining, in the Old Testament, God forgave sins all the time. And the question is, how could he do that? He's like taking money out on loan. It's like, well, how is he going to pay for that? How do those sins get paid for? Those ones he passed over. This is Jesus, right? This is to show God's righteousness, right? That God is shown to be righteous in these last days through Jesus Christ, through the blood of his son. And I love this phrase, that God might be, the, might be just and the justifier. And again, when we see this word just or justice, it's the same root to the word righteousness, God is righteous, and he's the righteous maker. Through Jesus, God is shown to be righteous in that he does not leave sin unpunished. His wrath is actually poured out on his son. But that through the cross, too, his mercy is exalted. His mercy is glorified, and we see that God is both just, righteous, and the justifier. The one who makes us righteous through the blood of Jesus. And this truth resounds and will resound throughout all eternity, not to our glory, but to God's. If all this is true, if we have nothing to bring to the table, and God has laid a feast of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he's offered us for free, we just have to believe the invitation and sit down, then how much credit do we get to take for dinner afterwards? None, nothing, nada. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. We have no boast but Jesus Christ. One thing to caution against is that the longer we sit at the table, the longer we're part of a household, oftentimes the more tempted we can become to think that that we deserved it in the first place. We can get a sense of ownership, like this is all ours. And we don't. True humility as a Christian begins at the gospel and begins with understanding that we don't deserve any of it 
We never have, and we never will. And yet he's given it to us all anyways. And this is why one day when we stand in the presence of God, no longer through the veil, but face to face, it is not my praises which will be sung. It is not your praises which will be sung. It is the eternal song of praise to the crucified Lamb of God and to the Father, which will resound throughout all eternity. This is my story. This is my song, praising the Savior all the day long. How can we be made righteous? Not by the law, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. These are four of the five solas of the Reformation. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola fide, through faith alone. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. Soli Deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. This is the foundation on which we stand as a church and as Christians. This is our hope in life and death. Jesus, totally sufficient from first to last. Our only hope of righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. And may it be so for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have nothing to bring, no righteousness of our own, but to the cross we cling. And in Jesus, we know you have given us everything. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would justify us, that you would make us righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. We believe he is the Son of God. We believe he lived. We believe he died for sinners. We believe he rose again. We believe he's seated at the right hand of the Father. We believe he is coming again. And this is our hope. We worship you for the spiritual feast you have laid before us. We long one day at your return to sup at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And until that day, give us hearts of joy and feasting as we celebrate the victory we have in Christ over sin and death. And make us joyful emissaries of this news to our dying day. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.
Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now 